It was in Earl's Court in London in 2015, and I can honestly say that this was the first time a trade exhibition had changed my life. I'm Chris Lawson. In 2015, I started my journey into the world of IVF. Along the way, there was heartache, pain, wacky diets, loss of faith, and a lot of needles. It's a roller coaster ride at the best of times, and as I sat in the fertility clinic waiting room, many times alone with my thoughts, I realised that men don't talk about fertility much. That's why I decided to start up this podcast, IVF Dad. This is my story, and it features some of the experts we met along the way, complete with advice, support, and money-saving tips. Episode 1. How my life got turned upside down at a fertility show. So Trish, my wife now, but girlfriend then, it's about five years ago, we found ourselves at a fertility show in Olympia. How? I don't really know, but we are there. Well, apart from not managing to get pregnant after going at it like teenagers for close on a year. It was in Earl's Court in London in 2015, And this is the place that can host business trade shows and exhibitions on anything from the ideal home to fast cars to digital marketing to holidays. But in 2015, I can honestly say that this was the first time a trade exhibition had changed my life. In that instance, that afternoon, it was as if the next five years were passing in front of my eyes in a few hours. Everything I would be experiencing Everything we would be paying for, seeing the shyness, the hope, the embarrassment, sometimes the desperation on the other blokes' faces that we bumped into as we walked around. It was like a crazy four-legged race around a maze of exhibition stands. Each couple was glued together, inseparable. In most cases, the woman leading and the man dragging behind. A bit like a parent dragging a child a child that none of us had. It was an adults-only event without any drugs or alcohol. I look back now and I find it amazing that I'm there walking around with stands that are titled St Bartholomew's, Zeta West, St Thomas's, Cambridge, Lister Hospital, stopping and reading and, and browsing past these stands like it's some sort of farmer's market. And and I'm discussing how many times we should have sex a week when trying for a baby with a doctor that I've just met, as everyone else is milling past, smiling away. As I walked through those doors, I definitely didn't expect that to happen. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure what I did expect to happen, but not that. And the same could be said for the next five years. On one side, there was a lot of alternative medicines, Nutritionists, Chinese herbalists, fertility massage specialists, hypnotherapy. In the middle, there was a whole load of clinics that reminded me of foreign timeshares. Who knew that you could choose to have your fertility treatment in Greece or Spain? Different rules, better climate, and you can always chuck in a weekend break too. What's not to love? And round the outside was a wide range of clinics. There was one stand that looked like a trade association called the HFEA which I later found out stood for the Human Fertility and Embryology Association. And it's sort of considered to be like the gatekeeper, the holder of all knowledge. They showed us their database. You typed in your requirements. Yes, Trish is approaching 40, no previous children. I'm over 40, no previous children. 
and we're looking, well, we think for IVF treatment, um, and it comes up with results, who's top of the league table? And oh, look, here's the stats. What? Because we're over 40, we have a 5 to 10% chance of success each time we go through a cycle. Surely that's the other way around. And I remember us collecting our goodie bags of leaflets and flyers and brochures. My bag was full of all the hospitals. Trisha's bag was full of all the hospitals, as well as a lot of alternative therapies. I made a mental note to talk to her about that. This was going to be a purely clinical operation. Pay the cash, get it sorted, no frills, no extras, no superstitions. Get it done in one try, maybe two. Then we move on to the celebration. So, thanks for getting this far. I know I've let the cat out of the bag already. Rosie was born in January 2020. Trish and I had made the decision to have a baby together very quickly after we got together in October 2014. And by February the next year, we were hopelessly in love and we were talking about, why wait? Let's just get on with it. Trish was close to 40 and I was already there, so it suited me fine. That's a great thing about meeting someone later in life. You do just know. What we didn't just know was just how frigging hard the next five years would be to get to our dream. We had our first round of IVF in April 16 after a lot of tests and so began the process where, along the way, I questioned my identity, my ability as a partner, as a man and as a potential father. We were beginning a journey where we would change tack along the way several times. And I say change tack rather than stopping, as sometimes it's not about giving up. It's about changing your goals to get to what you want. I also had to face up to some hard truths around my views and biases about fertility. The treatment is a female-orientated world and I wasn't used to it. Over the next five years, we produced 18 embryos and had 10 embryos transferred. During that time, we moved house, both changed jobs, got married in October 2018 and patiently, and not so patiently, waited and waited. A lot of the time, outside that immediate bubble of Trish and myself, it felt quite lonely. My mates are great, and if I had wanted to talk about the struggles, they would have listened, I'm sure, and sometimes did. I also had a lot of different perspectives from family, and people who knew people who had been through it or had had children via IVF, and they all had kids. But where do you start the conversation that might not have a happy ending? And I think sometimes we think it's easier not to talk about it in the first place than to start and get emotional or hear your friends get emotional on your behalf, which is even worse. And so we talk about beer and football and anything else instead. So as we started the treatment and the time went by, I had to consider this. I don't know whether I'm ever going to be a dad. I don't know whether we are infertile. Let me correct that. I don't know whether I am infertile. Or, as we moved on the next stage and got past first base, I know I can get Trish pregnant now, but I don't know whether my genetics mean that we're going to have a healthy baby or a miscarriage. Along with, I don't know how to stay cheerful anymore, how to pay for it all how to be happy for you and your perfect family and sad about mine at the same time. Now, 
It's not as if five years down the line after Rosie was born, I suddenly have all the answers. But I do hope that what I learn along the journey will be useful. If we were playing fertility bingo, Trish and I pretty much have a full house of experiences. And I remember sitting in that waiting room over and over again, thinking, who do I know who has really been through this and can help me understand it, either medically or emotionally? Yes, there were some resources, but none that really talked to me as a wannabe dad. Trish used to say to me a lot and still does, I'm not looking for you to give me the answers. I just want you to understand what I'm going through. Well, apart from stabbing myself with a few needles, that was physically and practically impossible. But there can be a tendency to look for solutions rather than just feeling it and empathising. That was a big thing I learned. Sometimes you just have to feel it and take each day as it comes. But a quick to-do list, action plan or some killer stats help me to feel better and useful as well. So there's a few of those as we go through the podcast. I also met some incredible people along the way, some of whom you will meet on this podcast. Let's get back to the very start of this though, even before the fertility show. The discussion around your desire to have children, about the timetable for it. And of course, one of you may already know that there may be a fertility issue for whatever reason. If there's likely to be a problem, then normally you can shortcut an expert and go straight to the advice. But for everyone else, it has to start with lots of sex until you are pregnant. And of course, when you don't get pregnant, you have to have lots more sex. See, it's not all bad. And this bit is free, and you don't even have to pay for contraception. In the meantime, all the fun sex has now got a schedule attached to it. And every month there's a measure of your performance when you find out whether you are pregnant or not. Then you have to get back in the saddle, so to speak. Okay, so let's take a break and talk some facts. Average time to conceive varies per couple, but statistics show that 92% will get pregnant after 24 months of trying and 84% after 12 months. So sometimes it's about patience. However, if it comes down to IVF, then 2% of babies born in the UK annually is as a result of IVF. That's around 20,000 babies a year. For IVF, the chance of successful conception in each natural cycle is nearly 20% in women aged 30 or less, but it drops to 5% in women by the time they turn to 40, and down to about 1 or 2% if you're 43 plus. On top of that, the older you get, sadly, the more miscarriages you are likely to have as well. The main effect of age on female fertility It's a reduction in the number and quality of eggs, and that's pretty well documented. And that's known in the trade as the ovarian reserve, which sounds pretty cool. Age also affects men's fertility, but at a later stage, and it's a much smaller scale than it is for women, but it is still a factor. Did you know that sperm stays active for up to seven days inside a woman's body, and it needs to be there before ovulation? So having sex every two to three days before ovulation is a good plan. And when should you go for advice? Well, if you know or suspect you have an issue, don't delay. If you're over 35, it's recommended that you you give it a good go for six months. And if you're under 35, that it's a year. 
But I do remember a friend of mine sitting me down and saying, just get on with it, Chris. The sooner you know, the sooner you can do something about it. And I think that's really good advice. There are 134 fertility clinics in the UK. So use the HFEA to help make your decision. It's a great place to start. Oh, and do check out the fertility show if you're starting the journey. It might be surreal, but it's also pretty informative. So when we decided we wanted children, we knew we had a ticking clock due to our ages. Trish was approaching 40 and didn't have children, and I was 44 and didn't have children either. So we tried to speed up the process. Trish went to her GP and organised a scan, and I came along. And that's when I knew we were serious about it. And that was also when I had the bright idea of going to the fertility show. All right, it was me. You know, I saw it a bit like going to the Tesco's Extra Superstore. Let's pick up everything we need in one place, then we won't need to come back again. How wrong I was, but we did need to start somewhere. Next episode, find out how we made the decision about which route to take and which hospital to use and why talking about my fertile 75-year-old granddad didn't help me. Thank you for listening. This has been IVF Dad. I started this podcast to provide support during the lonely fertility journey and ensure others didn't suffer in silence. So please do share it with anyone it can help. Log on to ivfdad.com. I would love to hear from you and hear your stories. For future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, etc. Follow us on Insta and Twitter at ivfdadpodcast. And on the website, check out the email and the show notes. There's some great links, advice and money-saving tips. Stay healthy, stay positive and remember, it only takes one. <laughs>